0: Good to see you, folks, this uh, Lord's Day morning, and uh, Merry Christmas. Um, let me encourage you to turn to uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read just a very familiar passage of Scripture to you and uh, kind, of be the, 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 kind of move our minds in the direction of the, the study we want to consider this morning, still in this, this theme of God's decrees and the confession of faith. So Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. And we'll make a reference a few few more times to verse 30, especially in the the context of our study this morning. So Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 28, down through verse 30. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. And let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the the privilege of beginning this day with uh, fellowshipping together. And we thank you for the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, where our minds can be uh, focused on the incomparable excellency and the glory of your being. I, I thank you for each one that is here this morning and Pray that um, that you would minister your grace to our hearts and to our souls, and uh, throughout this morning we would just be impressed afresh with the the infinite glory and beauty and excellency of your holy Son, and just the the supreme excellency of spiritual things. So I would pray these moments for the help of your Holy Spirit to uh, convey the teaching of your Word in a way that is honoring to Thee and pleasing to Thee, and is also edifying and strengthening uh, to our own soul. So we we thank you that. Uh, you have revealed your ways to us in Holy Scripture, and I, I pray that you would just in, enlighten our, our minds to behold precious things out of your word. I, I pray we just hearten and, and deepen our, our our faith and our love for thee, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so continuing on, our studies here, Chapter 3 of the London Baptist Confession of Faith, which is entitled, um, Of God's Decree, consists of uh, seven paragraphs. And so far, we've considered the first five of the seven. And uh, in general, just very, very brief review here, review. In general, the decrees of God can be defined as the eternal plans of God, whereby before the creation of the world, he determined to bring about everything that happens. So we have emphasized that the decrees of God have a comprehensive dimension. They include all things, and we see that in Romans Um, 8.28. He causes all things, not some things, to work together for good. We have noted uh, Ephesians 1.11. He works all things, not some things, after the counsel of his own will. Um, The plans of God include, um, therefore, the unholy motives of unsaved men. A helpful text in your notes here is uh, Acts 2.23. Uh, this man, referring to the person of Christ, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, uh, you nailed to a cross by the hands of, of godless men and put him to death. So that's one of those verses that I've indicated in the past. It's kind of a of a good template to look through, and we, we see that it includes, that the God's plan includes, and it has to include the motives of sinful men. Um, the catechism... Um, it says the decrees of God are His eternal purpose, according to the counsel of His own will, whereby, for His uh, for His own glory, He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. So the decrees of God um, are, are His purpose for all things. And a helpful quote here by uh, R. L. Dabney. He says his predestination may be kind of a distinction between predestination and election. His predestination may be defined to be his purposes concerning the everlasting destiny of his rational creatures. His election is his purpose of saving eternally some men and angels. Well, so last time, a couple weeks ago, we focused on the doctrine of election and noted that this election is unchangeable it is unchangeable that is it's it's not conditioned upon foreseen faith or repentance but in each case it's upon the sovereign grace and personal love according to the secret counsel of his will so it's not like god looks forward and 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 sees who's going to rely on him and turn to him but rather he determines who is going to rely on him and turn to him paragraph six deals with uh, the general theme or the subject of election Uh, But then what is emphasized here is that he also has determined what means are necessary to the accomplishment of this end and purpose. So kind of a key term this morning is means. He has determined what means are necessary for the full accomplishment of our election. So this is another emphasis on the fact that the God of the Bible is a, is a planning God. He is he's um, thinking through things. I, maybe one illustration that would help if somebody determines, for example, that they're going to build a house. That's, that's the, the plan. Then there's lots of means that are necessary to accomplish that end. They have to find a piece of land. They have to come up with a blueprint. They have to have a contractor. They have to get permits. They have to have have a, a plumber and and so on it goes, and all those are means to accomplishing the end. This is the end goal, but all these means are necessary to get there so we 're talking about election today but we 're talking about the means that God has ordained for the full accomplishment of that election so the, the logic is very similar to Romans 8.30, where it talks about he have been predestined, but all who he predestined he also called. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. So the, the logic very much flows along those lines. So my intention is to kind of work our way through paragraph six, which really um, focuses on election by some observations. Let me just read uh, paragraph six in your hearing. Um, As God hath appointed the elect unto glory, so he ha- so hath he by the eternal and most free purpose of his will, foreordained all the means thereunto, whereby they who are elected, being fallen in Adam, are redeemed by Christ, are effectually called into faith, in Christ by his Spirit working in due season, are justified, adopted, sanctified, kept by his power through faith unto salvation. Neither are any other redeemed by Christ, effectually called, justified, adopted, sanctified, and saved, but the elect only." Okay, so there's kind of the uh, kind of four main points this morning. The first is general, and the next three are a bit more specific. The, the general first first point is, um, quoting here from G. I. Williamson, um, as God the Father elected some to everlasting life, so He decreed all the means necessary to the accomplishment of that end. Um, And the paragraph itself begins with these words, As God hath appointed the elect unto glory, so he hath by the eternal and most free purpose of his will foreordained the means thereunto. unto. Um, I've indicated Romans 8.30 is very helpful. Um, It's not one of the proof texts that's actually found in the Confession. Um, but it's helpful to kind of think through it because it helps us to understand how we get from predestination to glorification—the means that God has ordained to the effecting of that end. Now, one of the the, um, the texts that the confession uses is Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse thirteen. And this morning, I, ha- I have the verses, a lot of verses listed, but I don't um, I don't have them printed out. So, which means you're going to have to turn in your Bibles to every single text this morning, and that, that could take a little bit of time, but. Um, my plan is, uh, so turn if you would here to 2 Thessalonians 2.13. My plan is, uh, uh, when I, I'm going to turn to a verse when I find it. I'm just going to read it because I look out here and see I'm older than everyone here. So you should be able to find the verse faster than I do. Okay, So when I, so that's, you're, you should be able to get to it before I do. So we'll just look up several verses this morning. So anyway, 2, Th- 2 Thessalonians 2.13. This is one of the texts that the, that the uh, confession actually lists in terms of means. But we also we should also always give thanks to God for you brethren beloved by the Lord because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation notice this through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth uh, Charles Wanamaker a very helpful commentator on um, this particular section indicates that um, that sanctification by the spirit, and faith in the truth. He described the means by which salvation comes about. So these would be the two means, sanctification in the spirit and faith in the truth. Describe the means by which salvation comes about. It's kind of fascinating here. Let me just read to you how Calvin handles this. Um, he, uh, he refers to these not as means, but tokens. He uses the word tokens. Um, it says that Paul meant simply to introduce, in connection with election, those those uh, nearer tokens which manifest to us what is in our own nature incomprehensible. Hence, in order that we may know that we are elected by God, there is no occasion to inquire as to what He decreed before the before creation of the world. But we find uh, in ourselves a satisfactory proof. He has sanctified us by His Spirit. That would be one proof. Enlightened us um in the faith of his gospel that would be another proof so he looks at these as tokens or indications that one is of the elect so he puts them in the category it's more i guess in the category of application um so how do you know that you're elect to salvation if there's sanctification by the spirit if there's faith in the truth okay now points two three and four are, are a little bit more specific And these are three of the the, the means uh, that God has ordained to achieve this election. So these are three of the means. The first one is redemption. The second one is effectual calling. And the third one is being kept by God. So these are the three means that he has ordained for the full achievement or the full fruition of our election. The first one is this, or this is number two, but this is the first means all of those who are elect are also redeemed by christ everyone who's elect is also redeemed by christ wherefore they who are elected being fallen in adam are redeemed or purchased by christ Williamson elaborates on this point the father elected some to everlasting life so he decreed all the means necessary to the accomplishment of that end Christ was given to make atonement for the sins of the elect, and the Holy Spirit was given to apply to the elect the redemption accomplished by Christ." The Father planned to save some, Christ died to save them, and the Holy Spirit sees to it that they do actually come to possess salvation. So again, you see the same kind of logic as Romans 8.30. So he's arguing here for a position which indicates that there's there's an exact correspondence between those who are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world and those who are redeemed. He redeems those who are elect. He redeems those who have been predestined unto life. It's clear, therefore, that the framers of the confession argue for what is sometimes referred to as, as limited atonement or particular redemption or definite atonement. It's the L in the acronym TULIP. You have total depravity, unconditional election, uh, then limited atonement, irresistible grace, and then perseverance of the saints. And it indicates that the intention or the design of the atonement, the purpose of the atonement, the design of the atonement is for the elect, for those whom the Father has given to the Son. Uh, Those who argue for an unlimited view uh, they see the atonement, uh, excuse me, uh, would view the atonement and, and affirm that Christ died for all in the same way. The, the way that I have put it in the past, at least it helps my own thinking process, they would see that Christ died the same way for Judas as he did for Peter. But we would see that there's a design and an intention in the atonement. It's designed particularly for those who are elect, those who have been chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Chapter 8 and paragraph 8 deal more uh, comprehensively with the issue of the atonement. So, in this context, I'm simply going to draw your attention to to uh, verses which the Confession cites in support of this, maybe a few others, and, and not too much comment, because I, I I think they make the point, or at least I, I find them to be compelling, and you have to be fully persuaded of this in your own mind. I should probably back up a little bit and, and say, when we're talking about doctrines of grace, when people move into this realm of thinking, usually this is the last one that they embrace. The others are a little bit more clear, and so I, I don't want to feel like I'm shoving anything down anyone's throat here. You have to be fully persuaded in your own mind, which is good, and uh, be a Berean Christian. But let me at least share some texts with you, which I I think are helpful in this direction. First of all, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 9 and 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 9 and 10 reads like this. um, For God has not destined us, notice that, God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. And the thought here would be there's a correspondence between uh, verse 9, God has not destined us for wrath, and verse 10, who died for us. Uh, Those who have not been destined for wrath are the same ones for whom he died. And so you see a correspondence here between between the two. Um, And then um, Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, Titus chapter 2 and verse 14 first and second timothy titus chapter 2 verse 14 and this is at the beginning of the verse um says who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and again i would just uh, taking that at face value it has this more restrictive sense who gave himself for us that is the people of god to redeem us from every lawless deed Uh, so it seems to me to make a, a a similar point the scope here seems to be the people of god not everybody um, and then Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. Um, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. He loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. That is for the church. This is a very profound verse, I think, in this discussion, because the point is Christ died not for everybody on the planet, but for the church, uh, for the true people of God, the company of the redeemed, uh, for those whom the Father had given to the Son. And then back to Acts chapter 20, uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 20, verse 28. This is in the context of Paul's farewell address to the Ephesians, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. He says in verse 27, um, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Uh, This is the first of a few verses that we'll look at. And what is helpful here is... We see here the language of achievement, who he purchased with his own blood. It's not possibility or hopefully, but it's a language of achievement or the language of accomplishment. And we'll see this in some other other texts as well. So it's not that he made something available, but he purchased the, the church with his own blood, his death is an act of redeeming a particular people. This kind of fits in with what we looked at in Matthew 1, 21. She shall bring forth a son. Thou shall call his name Jesus. He shall save his people from their sins. How is he going to save his people from their sins? By redeeming them, by purchasing them with his own blood. So there's a correspondence between his mission and and how these people will be saved. Well, then Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 um, Ephesians chapter one verse seven, uh, in Him we have redemption through His blood, and this uh, again is presented as a, a possession that we have on the basis of His death. Then another text would be First Peter chapter one verses eighteen and nineteen, more towards the end of the New Testament. First Peter chapter one verses eighteen and nineteen. Um, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished spotless, the blood of Christ. So again, we see that redemption by his blood is a language of achievement and accomplishment, not possibility, not hope. I hope my death is effectual for somebody. It's not presented that way, but rather it's, this is what he will accomplish. Well then, last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, then verse 9. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. Verse um, And they sing a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and nation. You have made them, that's who you purchased, to be a kingdom, a priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth another text which emphasizes this language of purchase accomplishment and possession not everybody everywhere but his people wherever they may be found from every tongue and tribe and nation so the the elect are are redeemed they are purchased by the blood of christ then in the third place um, a second means by which this election is, is fully achieved is effectual calling effectual calling All those who are elected are also effectually called unto faith in Christ by His Spirit working in due season. Um, And I I want to be careful here. I feel like I'm overusing. Well, you can't overuse a text, right? I feel like I'm overusing Romans chapter eight and verse thirty, but it's it's helpful here. whom he predestined, these he also called. And we could say who he elected, these he also called. So there's a correspondence between those who were predestined and those who were called. Chapter 10 of the Confession deals more exhaustively with the doctrine of effectual calling. It can be defined this way, effectual calling. Um, is the work of God the Father's power and grace whereby by his word and spirit... Um, invites and draws his elect unto jesus christ convincing them of their sin and misery enlightening their minds and the knowledge of christ renewing their wills thereby persuading and enabling them to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to all in the gospel. This is kind of a helpful paragraph to reread because you see, he draws, he convinces, he enlightens, he renews, he persuades, he enables. That's effectual calling at a particular point in time. And the Bible makes it clear um, that there is something called the universal call that goes out to all men in all places. Just a couple of examples would be Mark 16:15. Mark chapter 16. And then uh, verse 15, last chapter of the book, and verse 15 says this. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And then, one other example, if you turn, just keep turning to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 17 and verse 30, uh, a, a, good a, a good illustration here of the universal call. that goes to all people in all places. This is... Paul's address of Mars Hill, uh, Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. That's the universal call. Everybody, everywhere should repent. They are called upon to repent. Now, we all know that multitudes hear the gospel over and over again, even sometimes, and they don't repent. Um, So effectual calling refers to a particular point in time when God is is pleased by his spirit to work and enable them to embrace Christ as Savior. And, and some of the texts that I have listed here, uh, turn you with, turn if you would to first Peter chapter two and verse nine. And again, these are just some texts that I think fairly, fairly clearly make the point and you can um, as you are inclined to spend more time with them. But first Peter, uh, Peter chapter two and verse nine. First Peter chapter two and verse nine. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This would be a, these are, I would call these proof texts for effectual calling. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, another one would be back in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. And here we read that God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Called into fellowship, uh, excuse me, called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then another one is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and then verse 12 So so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Then another helpful text would be 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. It's kind of enriching if you just look at these verses one after another. You see that we're, we're called from darkness to light. We're called into fellowship with his son. We're called into his kingdom. We're called into eternal glory, into eternal life and glory. So it, it, the, the object of the effectual calling is, is a rich subject to consider. So the objects of effectual calling, as we saw from Romans 8.30, are those who have been predestined to life. Now turn, if you would, to Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. And the unique contribution, so to speak, this verse makes to effectual calling is that God determines the time when this will take place. He determines a specific time in salvation history when this will take place. Everyone who's predestined will be called. When will they be called? The answer is when God is pleased to call them. That's when they are called. And here's the Apostle Paul in the context of giving his own testimony when God, Galatians 1:15, when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. And what stands out here, Paul, I mean, we know that he was chosen, chosen to be a missionary. We know that he was chosen to bring the gospel to the nation, so to speak. Um, but it sure took a long time for that to happen, right? I mean, he persecuted the church. But he says right here, what we put together here is God called him when it pleased him to do so. And I know the, the illustration that's been helpful for me is he heard Stephen's sermon and that appeared to have no effect. I mean, he was there and he was all in favor of murdering Stephen. How come he didn't respond to the gospel then? the answer is effectual calling not just the fact of effectual calling but the time of effectual calling and god it was it was pleased to god to, to call him at a particular point in in, in time so um so the, the means of election and uh, of the election being accomplished is effectual calling one means is redemption another is effectual calling and another means of it being fully accomplished is god will keep us we are kept by god's power that's number four In the fourth place, we note that they are kept by his power through faith unto salvation. Um, The fact that they are called not into temporary uh, spiritual life or probationary spiritual life uh, would imply that all who are called will maintain their status until they are saved. Um, and the unbroken correspondence in Romans chapter 8:30, 8, 8, excuse me, Romans chapter 8 and verse 30 would compel us to this conclusion. But the confession clearly states that we are kept by His power through faith unto salvation. And here, if you would get back to First Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, First Peter uh, chapter 1 and verse 5. I think I'll read verse 4 and then verse 5. First Peter chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Verse five, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. So one one of the means of of achieving our election is we are kept by God's power. We are kept in the faith because one might read verse four. And, and, and talks about this inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, and th- that's great. How do I know I'm going to get there? In order to enjoy that, and the answer is we are kept by God's power. So that's the uh, that's the assurance. Hebert writes, um, this is the preservation of the heirs. He calls it. Um, he writes the term protected means to guard, to protect, to keep. It's a military term indicating that the, the heirs need protection from enemies, and the present tense indicates that such, such protecting activity is continually exercised. Sometimes you see uh, celebrities that have bodyguards that try to protect them from certain things, um, but that protection is not absolute, but this protection is because it's affected by the being of God. So, um, Well, Merry Christmas, and let us pray, shall we? Father, we do thank you uh, for um, the salvation, and we thank you for the, the character of the salvation that you revealed to us in the scriptures, and we thank you that you are a, a planning God, an accomplishing God. We're aware of our own frailties. We are aware of our own weaknesses, as the hymn says, prone to wander. So we, we thank you that you... Accomplish what you determine. We, we thank you that our salvation is in Thy hands, and we thank you that, as, as Jonah learned, salvation is of the Lord. And so I I, I pray you would take with consider this morning uh, about election and its its fruition and full manifestation. That that would be encouraging to our own souls, and as we would gather together uh, to worship you and praise you this morning, I pray that our our fellowship would be precious and and sweet and there would be a a felt sense of the person of Christ as we come to worship thee together this day. So thank you for your many kindnesses to us and um, continue to direct our, our thoughts and our hearts and our minds toward thee this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.